Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is so good to be with you. It is great to be kicking off still a new year. I'm grateful for you, this audience. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You might have noticed that we have a new podcast player for the last several weeks, and I am just delighted with the uh, Blueberry Company and our affiliation with them. They have allowed us to track data and... I'll tell you what I've learned, and that is that there are far more of you than I thought. In fact, we have more listeners on a daily basis than I thought we had on a monthly basis. <laughs> and so uh, we didn't start this podcast for this broad appeal or to, you know, compete with Joe Rogan or anything of the sort, but we did start the podcast to reach people with truth, particularly with biblical truth, but truth that truth cuts across all disciplines. And so we try to talk about all of those disciplines. If you've been with us from the beginning, you know that we don't shy away from difficult topics, from theology, from uh, government, from economics, and all, all disciplines. And uh, we, we tell you the truth each week. So it's good to be back with you. Uh, this episode uh, might be a bit unusual because I have uh, some things that I think are heavy on my heart and, and might be perhaps on yours as well. So I'm going to jump right in and I, I want to tell you where where I'm coming from as I think about this this heavy-hearted topic First of all, I teach, as you know, at Circle Christian School in the Orlando, Florida, the central Florida area, and that is uh, just one of the most delightful things I have ever done. I've had the pleasure over many years in the workforce of uh, doing some really interesting things in the banking and financial industry, but there is, and I was able to teach as an adjunct professor at the University of Central Florida for a number of years, uh, thanks to Dr. Stan Smith and his program there. But this teaching at Circle Christian School, teaching high school 11th and 12th graders, has been among the most fulfilling things I have ever had the opportunity to do. And, you know, it sounds cliche, but um, I, this has actually been a learning experience for me. Uh, you hear teachers often say, you know, I learn more through this process than the students do. Well, that is true in a sense with me, and I am, I am grateful for them. However, when we invest in the lives of other people, and I know many of you have experienced this, you, you, you experience this in your churches, you experience this in your communities, in your workplace, uh, maybe even with with hobbies, with things you engage in. I know that those of you who have 
school age young people engage in teams and 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 all kinds of um, activities and with all sorts of people and and I know you experience loss as you as you do that one of the one of the hard lessons of this life is 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 just dealing with loss dealing with sadness dealing with adversity dealing with depression and i don't know whether it's because you know you go through seasons in life and i i, I i'm not sure what this is necessarily maybe as i get a few more months out i'll be able to look back at this and see it more clearly but it seems to me that god is bringing at least increasing my awareness about the suffering, the sadness, the struggles in this life. And I want to be careful with how I speak about this because I, I, I think this is a, I think this is a positive uplifting topic that we can, we can talk about very positively, but the sadness that I've observed, one of the elements of this is the death of two of the parents of my students this year, unrelated two separate adults have died this year from awful disease, both, both from cancer. And I respect those families, love those families, know both of those families well. I have had older siblings of both families in my classes, but watching the struggle of these families has been really difficult to watch. And, and I realize watching from a distance is nowhere near as difficult as the experience the families have gone through. I realize that God's grace is sufficient. These families are leaning on that. They are, they are reliant. They are strong families. They are reliant on God's grace. But one lost a father and the other lost a mother. And these are, these are high school students. And these are, these are students with multiple siblings in their household. Uh, these families are different. Uh, one, one has lived in Central Florida for a long time. The other just moved here a, a few years ago from Ohio. And I, I know them on different levels. They have different personality types. But the struggle is real. Both families have experienced it. Both families experienced real suffering, medically, physically suffering over a protracted period of time. They probably deal with it in different ways, deal with this loss in different ways. But I'm, I'm reminded as I look at these families, and these are, these are warriors, I wish you knew them. I wish you could see, you know, I had Catherine Berger on this podcast. If you missed that episode, by the way, go back and watch that one. Oh, I'm sorry, listen to that one. You will be amazed at her story, Russell and Catherine Berger and their two children 
are amazing people who are Christ followers, and they have experienced suffering at a just an incredible, incredible level. And her kindness and kind-heartedness and tenderness toward our Lord is amazing, even in the face of suffering. These two families that I'm talking about would 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 kind of remind you they share that character that that she uh, exhibits and that she uh, explains in the in the podcast episode from from a couple of months ago. Her name is Katherine Berger. Her story is well chronicled in the American Gospel film and on AGTV, a streaming service that I would commend to you. And and I'm I'm not uh, I don't want this episode to be about just the struggle and just, oh my goodness, and wringing of hands. But I, I also had, and it's interesting how God uses these things, brings these things into our lives, and I know you go through this too, but I also had a an ultrasound of my carotid artery. And I did it because of my age, and I'm at that point where you check these things. And, you know, I'm, I, I don't think I'm a full-fledged, hypochondriac, but having survived stage three colon cancer many years ago, 19 years ago now, unbelievably, and I had it at a relatively young age, I, I like to check things. And so for, for no medically indicated reason, I decided that I would ask to have one of these scans. And, and they had what is called an incidental find. And you, you've probably, I, I think lots of people have experienced this. I've got a couple of friends who are radiologists and they tell me that lots of, I forget the statistics, but in many, many scans of various types, CTs, MRIs, and ultrasounds, they, they find things that are, you know, in the periphery or next, next door, kind of from an organ standpoint or body system standpoint, they find, they find things they were in, in systems they weren't really looking at, but kind of off to the side and, and, and they call those incidental finds. They found that there's a nodule on my thyroid that caused concern because it looked like a solid nodule. So I just had a follow-up visit to do an ultrasound of the thyroid. Now, if you're like me, I think a lot of people do this and this is, this is really dangerous territory. You, you have something like this happen and you go home and you start, you know, searching the internet for, well, where is the thyroid? What does the thyroid do? And all the rest. I know some of you are, are are medical folks from a career standpoint. You know all that. Well, the rest of us didn't remember much about anatomy or chemistry or uh, related topics. And so I kind of knew it was in the throat area somewhere. And I knew if they found it in a carotid artery scan that, you know, it's it's sort of in the neck area. And uh, and that that's about all I knew. I, I knew it had something to do with hormones and the pituitary and all that good stuff. And, and I, I learned a lot about thyroid nodules, let's say it that way, over the last few weeks. And I guess what I learned is lots of people have them. In fact, my brother, who lives out in Dallas, has, has one, had one that he just dealt with, that he just had analyzed and found to be okay. So the danger is that in about 4 or 5% of these cases, this this can be cancerous and in all the other cases the 95 96% of the cases they're not in fact they're very common and so i got to spend 
I don't know what the aggregate time was, but two two visits to the to the uh, radiology department near my neighborhood of one of the big hospital systems, and uh, sit in the waiting. You get to sit in the waiting room with all kinds of people, and and you just see suffering. You, you, I mean, you you see people who aren't very ambulatory. You see, uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not exactly there to chat people up, but you hear conversations between husband and wife. You can, you can see the looks in their faces. I mean, I'll never forget my first visit 19 years ago to an oncologist's office. And if you, if you've never done that, you've never been in a chemo room, you probably can't relate to this, but so many of you have that I'm guessing a big part of this audience can relate to this. You look around and you see Wow, this is real life. This is this is the human struggle. They said said from a theological standpoint, this is the these are the implications of living on a fallen earth. And it, it it's sad, it's it's a struggle. I, I watched a man who who, you know, had a had a cane and, and and struggled to walk and he was, but he was so positive and kind to the people sitting around him. You watch the workers there call people back and wait on them patiently and open doors and all the rest. There's just a loving, caring, beautiful culture, even in the midst of suffering. And I know if you're a healthcare worker, you're thinking, wow, he has no idea what we go through. Well, because my wife's a nurse, I do have a little bit of an idea of what you go through, but I but I have not experienced it. So we value those workers. This suffering is real. It seems that there is more of this going around. And I had my own little experience with this scan, which, as it turns out, it's uh, it's it's probably a benign thing, and they're gonna. They're going to watch it over the next several years. There are some other tests they would do if it was larger. And so God willing, and my prayer is that, you know, it, it ends up being nothing, but it's, it's nothing to overreact to today. And I'm, I'm uh, grateful for that. Obviously, when you've been through, and many of you have some medical issues in the past, and you have another scare of some kind, even though maybe it's minor, maybe it's very correctable, just just having to say the word cancer is is not a is not a pleasant kind of a kind of a triggering to use modern psychological terminology exercise and uh, so yeah yeah emotionally it's a little bit of a struggle but I'm I'm grateful there are there are so many I don't know the current statistics I remember them from back when I was diagnosed but there so many people struggle with that awful disease and many many others so there's a struggle. And uh, I, I, I don't want to talk about that. I uh, uh, don't want to beat it to death. But, but in the context of that, I want to tell you about something that is truly beautiful. I don't give parents a lot of advice, period, either on this podcast or, or in my teaching. I get to observe, and you, you probably can't imagine this unless you're a Circle Christian School parent. And I, I should add... I'm not selling anything here at all, but I want to tell you a little bit about these students, and then I want to talk to families a little bit 
about, and if you're older and your kids are grown, I think you'll still relate to this. Uh, so stay with me if you would. I, I know this introduction is a little rambling and clunky relative to usually our being on task and talking about a very specific subject. But in the face of all this suffering, I want to point out some beauty. I, I get to hang out with 11th and 12th graders. And I, I realize when I say that, some of you probably gasp and say, oh, well, what's the pleasure in that? Well, you wouldn't believe it. And a lot of it has to do with the families that Circle Christian School attracts. And, and I know there are other really good Christian schools around the country. I, I get to work with them through my company. It's called CFS Financial. If you go to my website, johnwarrenmedia.com, there's a tab for our consulting work with Christian schools all over the country. It's called CFS Financial. We primarily focus on financial issues and strategic issues, but I, I get to work with these schools all over the country. So I know this isn't the only one and their model, our model at Circle is not the only model. But it is beautiful, and it does attract some amazing families. Are they perfect? No. Is the faculty part? No, of course not. The administration? No. I serve on the board. Is the board part? Nope. Not perfect. But it's beautiful. There is a beautiful thing that goes on there. You can kind of see it on social media sometimes, uh, particularly on Facebook. My, my students tell me that, Facebook is for old people. If you're under the age of 30, you are keenly aware of this. If you're over 30, you have no idea what that means. Probably you think Facebook is wonderful. And and it is useful. But it's kind of yesterday to younger people. So you can see this beauty on social media. You can see it in interactions. And, and yet there's part of just living life that with all of this suffering that I referenced earlier and, you know, there's more, their illness will sweep its way through the, the student body. Uh, we've had, I'm sure you've, you, you know, you're, you're aware of this. You, especially if you're in the United States, you're aware that uh, over the last couple of months, we've had uh, the flu, we've had a, a cold season and we've had a, a new strain of COVID that who knows what it's called, but We've had lots of sickness and, and, and that all, all of that is experienced at Circle Christian School. This is not utopia. We have, we have challenges from time to time, but there is a real beauty among these families and they, the parents love their students well and they model Christ following particularly well. I'm not going to, for the rest of this episode, I'm not going to give you the five points that I see employed by parents that make them really good parents. I'm not going to shame you that if you don't do these things, you're not a good Christian parent. But I do want to talk about perspective on just a couple of fronts. There's a thing that some parents do in our society, and I guarantee you all of you see it, where they abdicate parenting too soon. They stop parenting. The, the young person begins to pull away and the parent thinks, well, if I'm a good parent, I've got to give them more responsibilities and start treating them like an adult. Actually, I let them drive a three or four or 5,000 pound vehicle. 
I said vehicle, didn't I? I said it the Southern way, vehicle. And if I do that, then I should also give them other adult responsibilities. And there's this pulling away and there's this awkward thing that goes on where they're kind of, they call it adulting. They're sort of adulting and you're letting them engage in things and you want them to be progressively responsible because you don't want them to go off to college or off into adulthood, not prepared. And there's a, there's a tension there with how much latitude and do they still have a curfew and what does that look like and how much do you monitor and how much do you allow? And, and though I watch parents do that, that dance, if I may call it that, that, that artful parenting routine. And I watch the the oldest sibling has tougher rules, and then by the time they get to the fourth one, third or fourth one, they're 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 kind of more laid back about things. And I, I understand that for those of you who are veteran parents, you know, with multiple siblings, uh, multiple students, you know that there's there's a there's a struggle there, there's a tension there, there's a challenge in during this season of life. But I want to approach this just slightly differently. I find. That, you know, and I, I base this on, if you've been with me from the beginning, you know, one of my favorite passages of scripture is, is Romans and Romans 12 in particular, although I could pick a bunch of other sections, but uh, Romans 12 too, where Paul talks about this, be not transformed to the world, but be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I've come to know over the years through study, what all those words mean and, and Really, it's a it's a changing your your perspective, your 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 way of thinking, and so I want to just challenge rather than doing a a, a five step how to guide or five key points that all good parents employ, or you know I'm not not looking to replace the bookshelf at your favorite bookstore on parenting. I really want to focus on on perspective, and I want to tell you about something that Circle Christian School parents do really well now. Before I tell you that, I want to mention the secret sauce at Circle. I want to I want to tell you what the key is. What, what, I'm some of the keys, just real fast, real quickly. One, there is this thing called block scheduling. That's right, block scheduling. Now, if you tell a traditional educator that you have block scheduling, they think, oh, the classes are a little longer and they meet meet a little less frequently, and that's true. But Circle which is accredited by Cognia, the big national accreditor, big public accreditor. Uh, used to be called Advanced Ed, for those of you who, who are familiar with these things. Um, Cognia has accredited Circle Christian School because uh, Circle still meets all of their educational standards. It's a beautiful thing. They figured out some people way smarter than me, our founders and others in administration, people like Jim and Linda Werner, people like Diane Richardson, these are people I know who, who, who figured out that there's a way to do this with a flexible model that appeals to people who have a heart for following Christ and want to engage their family more and provide more extracurricular opportunity and more flexibility and might have even come from a homeschooling environment, although that's not necessarily true of everyone. There's a way to deliver this where the, the academics are high, are sufficient, are strong, are rigorous, and yet this block scheduling kind of works because it frees up lots of time. And here's what it looks like. 
for a lot of classes, the class only meets an hour and a half each week. For others, they meet twice a week for an hour and a half. And still others might meet more often. There's a robust athletics effort. There's a a robust arts effort. Circle Theater is incredible. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do justice to all the things those people, Aaron Terrio and others do, uh, Linda Novak and others. I'm sorry I'm leaving out some names, I realize, do in that program. But all of that is robust. They win. We win state championships in, in various sports. Um, there's, a, there's a real emphasis on quality, on, on academically, on meeting state standards. And, and, and there's a very strong emphasis on employing a Christian worldview, a Christian perspective. The gospel permeates all that we do. Again, we don't do it perfectly, but there, there's a beautiful thing that goes on here. So students pick from an a la carte menu for their, their courses. It kind of looks and feels like college. They have more free time. They come onto the campus. They take their classes. They leave. There are study halls between classes. If they, they need to be on a certain campus for, for the entire day and they have a gap, they can, they can go into a room, into a study hall environment we use uh, Canvas for for kind of the backdrop for the uh, for for the the academic uh, underpinning, if you will. It's a it's an online tool, a, a portal, if I may call it that. Each week has a module in it, much like your youngsters have experienced or will experience in college. And uh, there is there's a, there are weekly assignments given for for home, much like your you remember your college classes. There's a premium on on doing work yourself, you know, being a self-starter is kind of the way we reference it sometimes, I guess. Keeping up, you know, you don't you're not in class 5 days a week for 50 minutes for each period. You're in class either one and a half or 3 hours a week for most courses and you're responsible for doing the work between classes. This puts pressure on the faculty, but once a faculty member who's qualified to teach their subject learns that uh, yes, I can use Canvas. I can use this tool to to keep the students engaged and ensure that they move along. And I, if I grade assignments promptly, I can do the coaching that is necessary. If I use my 90 or 180 minutes a week in class well, we can accomplish amazing things. So that's not a sales pitch, but that's how Circle rolls. Well, I get to be around these families. And you can imagine there, there's not a lot of social time in class, but there's robust, rich discussion. So there are students who I have in classes this year where I've had two of their siblings. I think two might be the maximum. I might have had three before this with one student or two, but I've had several siblings in classes before. And it's it's cool because I get to see how I get to see something you know if you have a large family, and I'm envious of you if you do. God has blessed you richly if you do. And I have learned that, and and parents like to point this out sometimes, especially on social media, it's kind of interesting, that you can have three or four siblings and, and they might all be very different learners with different gifts, different learning styles, different interests. And Circle allows that to happen. 
in the way they deliver. And I'm not going to get in the weeds further. I've gotten in the weeds probably enough. Hope I haven't lost you, your interest, but siblings are wired differently. And yet there are common threads that I see in family. So I want to just spend a few minutes, if I may, talking about something that is precious among circle families. And I'm going to give a little bit of parenting advice. I'm going to tell you about something I see in this generation. So you can tell that I have a lot of confidence in this generation. I know if you follow the news media, you wring your hands and they've got ideological challenges. And, oh, if you watch the media, you'll think they're all, you know, they have to deal with things we didn't have to deal with. Let's say it that way. Uh, Transgender issues were not something, for example, ideologically that I had to face when I was in high school. But in a very real sense, nothing has changed. The implications of the fall are real. We just acted out a different different way. But there's, there's something I want to talk about here. And younger people, you know what this means. We call it FOMO. It is the fear of missing out. And and it's really a, and I get to see circle parents navigate this and, and it's just beautiful. I, I, I want to just blurt out, you know, what this is and, and, and maybe what scripture says about it and perhaps how to give you just some thoughts about maybe how to overcome it. There is a type of family, parent, uh, young person, and this has been true for decades But I see it very clearly in these generations that we are raising now. It has this tremendous fear of missing out. It's this, I've got to be everywhere. I've got to be in every friend group. I've got to participate in everything. And the the fear, and I want to emphasize the fear part, the fear is that I only get one shot at this and and I, I need to get this right. And I watch young people who feel this pressure and, and I'll, I'll, you'll actually hear parents say this media says it, you just, you just kind of hear it in the public square that the decisions you make today are going to stay with you the rest of your life. And I just want to, I understand all that. I know these decisions are important. I know you love your young people. We love our young people, but God is able and we all make lots of mistakes god's grace is sufficient and we don't have to live our lives in fear of missing out we don't have to be everywhere at all times we don't have to engage in 15 friend groups so that they don't talk about us we don't have to fear missing an event because we have another event scheduled. We don't have to occupy ourselves every waking moment at every in every day. And parents, I know you can relate to this driving all over town at all times and coordinating multiple siblings being engaged in an incredible number of extracurricular activities. Some of you I see who are doing this and doing it well are superheroes to me. So I don't want to understate the dedication, the, the, the importance of engaging in athletics and extracurriculars 
Circle students do some amazing things, some really interesting things. They are they are very good. I mean, we we have some cybercrime experts that you you wouldn't believe. I mean, who are just high school graduates. We have people who can put together sophisticated websites and video and all kinds of things. Speech and debate, robotics. Uh, a few years ago, they built a couple of airplanes. I mean, they they win golf championships, state golf championships, and and do well in, in, in tennis and swimming and track and all the rest. All those things are important. But this fear that if I don't do all the right things to make myself as appealing as possible to the college or to, to fit some mold can just really be destructive, this fear of missing out. It's not, FOMO is not something to trivialize. It's something lots of young people struggle with. It can lead to a depression. I'm not going to get into a mental health discussion because I'm not qualified to do so. But but it can really leave a young person feeling woefully inadequate. And so I wonder if I could just step on all of our toes because I'm stepping on my own when I say this and suggest the following. Loving our young people requires several things. Loving them well requires having some structure. And I want to challenge all of us, and I'm, I'm talking to me, to make that structure include scripture and prayer, God's means of grace for us. And I know you say, oh my goodness, I require my kids to have a devotional time every day. If you only knew, our church is wonderful and we're going through, we read scripture yeah, you know, completely every year because we've got the XYZ reading plan. I, I, I understand all the good things we're all doing, but, but I, I want to just suggest that our young people need to know, not that we made a little effort, but they need to know, they need to know that they know that they are loved and they are valued. And there are several ways that we can do that. One, listen, let's listen to them. Two, don't assume that they automatically know how much you love them because you give them food and shelter. Don't assume that because they live in your house, our houses, that they know how loved and valued they are because you know what? I have a couple of students every year and I learned this by the end of the first semester and I'm on guard for this and I still have the problem sometimes where a student's parent will tell me, oh, my student thinks that you don't like them. That saddens me, almost reduces me to tears. And I tell the parent, oh, I love your student, but your student hasn't done some homework on time and I have to get on them a little bit and push them. And, and you know, there's a fine line there where I want them to become independent and I want them to do this on their own, but they're, they're struggling. But, but I clearly have given that student that the impression that I don't value them, that I think lowly of them. And so you say, well, wait a minute, you're contradicting yourself. How do you have some structure, some standards, some requirements? You told us to parent, don't abdicate parenting. And, and how, do you, how do you do that? Well, I don't believe love and structure are mutually exclusive. In fact, I think sometimes having some rules, some requirements, some expectations even as your student is driving that three or 4,000 pound vehicle, I think it's possible to have some structure and let them know 
that that they are loved and valued. But but if you have to sacrifice one place or another, I would suggest, even though I know I know what students do, they they act like they don't want to spend time with you. Dedicate some time. One, let them see that you spend time in scripture and prayer. And I'm not suggesting you have to have a one-hour devotional, family devotional time. If that's not if that's not who your family is, then that's fine. But I'm suggesting that you need to model, we need to model, I need to model being in in prayer and reading scripture. And that that permeates our life. That just kind of comes out. That that becomes who we are. That God's word changes us. It does renew our mind, as Paul said. And we need to model that for our students. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about how valuable it is. And, and we need to care that much. If we love our students, that is one of the things we need, need to model. But there's this issue. And what I'm getting at in this episode of Relentless Truth, there's this issue of contentment, of resting in Christ. You know the verse in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What you might not remember, because you know we we memorize those little phrases, is, is that he starts in verse 3 with, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Wow. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we are brought, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. That reminds me doesn't it remind you of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Contentment is learned. That's right. It's learned. Contentment is commanded. If we don't model contentment, if we don't have, it's not, it's not superficial modeling. If we don't have contentment, might that be caused by our own as adults experiencing FOMO? You know, I was sitting next to someone at a at an arts event. I'm not gonna not gonna name the the event. There were lots of people there, and her phone was driving me nuts. And I guess we're supposed to put them away and in our pockets so that don't light up all the time. And she had notifications on that were just pinging all the time. And every time it pinged, she had to look. She's lighting up the place with her phone because she has to read every text, every messenger message, every tweet, whatever it was that was coming across. And I get that. But, you know, they're, they're, the whole family was there and there were children there and uh, sitting with her. And I, I just thought, you know, 
I know I'm meddling now, but you get it. FOMO, you know, you, you can wait till that's over and catch up on whatever that was. Unless you're, unless you're a physician on call for the emergency room or for surgery or for your practice, you don't have to get interrupted probably a hundred times over the course of two hours just to keep track of social media messages. This, this notion of contentment, though, is deeper than that. It has to do with a root issue, doesn't it? It has to do with what we value. We can choose. We can make a decision. Yes, people are capable. I respect, as you know, if you follow this podcast, the sovereignty of God, and yet I know that we make choices and we can decide that we're going to be content in Christ. Let me tell you how this all ties together. When I'm in that waiting room, when I observe my students who've lost parents, when when I see young people who 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 model this this kind of this kind of life that I described at Circle Christian School, when I see others who don't, when I see the challenges, I understand that there's a key truth here, and that is we naturally in our flesh are self-reliant sinners, and we don't lean on Jesus Christ and his finished work. We talk a good game, but we can make a decision. You can make a decision. I can make a decision to lean on him, to rely on him and his finished work. We are reliant on God for our next breath, and all of you know that. God has revealed himself to all of us, even through nature, and you know this is true. If you've just tuned in and you say, what is a Christian podcast? What is this guy all about? And you've, you've sort of stuck with me to this point, you know that God reveals himself to us. And you also know that we make decisions and, and you know that the best decision that we can make, the most profitable decisions that we, we make are those that involve us dealing with our fear by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He alone is our sufficiency. If your church doesn't teach that, and a lot of churches don't, a lot of churches have programs and, and things and noise and, 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 and you know, but, but if, but if you experience even there, you experience this fear of missing out, or there's no, there's no emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ and his finished work, then, then what we really should do, regardless of how socially comfortable we are, is find a new church. Maybe, maybe you might have to start one. But I didn't really intend to criticize our churches. I really just want to change our focus. And I'm talking to me too. I want to be aware, be conscious of the fact that I am to depend on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the passage we just read, you can't serve God and money. And you've heard lots of sermons on this. You've heard about stewardship and being a generous giver and all the rest. Well, he goes on to talk about not being anxious about your life. You know that if your focus, if our focus, if my focus is wrong, if I'm focused on material things and not on the finished work of Christ, not relying on him, not reading my Bible and praying, not living a life characterized by those things, not only are our young people going to be confused because we talk a good game and we have rules based on biblical truth, but we're not, we're not walking the walk or walking the talk, doing what we say we do. But 
we're living like Pharisees. And they see that and that frustrates them. That frustrates you. It frustrates me. I hope this is encouraging to you. The promises, the adequacy of Jesus Christ is entirely sufficient to solve this problem. Contentment is a decision that we make. It's not just optional. This isn't the the kind of that part of the end of the survey where, you know, is there anything else you'd like to tell us? Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, contentment is actually commanded by Scripture. And to do that, we must know who God is. And we must know who God is in the context of who man is. And if we know who God is, we know that he sent his son to die on a cruel Roman cross, first to be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, die on a cruel Roman cross. He was resurrected on the third day. He ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He alone is our sufficiency. How cool is that? I love these students that I get to teach. I love being part of their families. I get to see these principles that I'm talking about today, that I've rambled on about today. I get to see these principles lived out in their lives. If you struggle with this, if I've said something that is unclear, if you'd like to know more, if you say, wow, that sounds good, but I'm not sure I can relate, send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I am so excited because there are far more of you listening than I realized. Hundreds per day. It's uh, astounding to me from all over the world. Obviously, the primary audience is in the U.S., but scattered all over the country and all over the world. I am honored by the fact that you are a subscriber, a loyal listener. I'd like to hear from you. I'd actually like to hear from you. I'd like to hear your perspectives. I'd like to hear the the things that you value most. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the economy. I do that from time to time. And I'm going to paint an accurate picture for you of what the economy looks like and where it's going in the United States. My friends who are following this podcast from other countries, you, you might find it valuable because we kind of lead the world as in a leading indicator. What goes on here kind of happens to the rest of the world economically. So I hope you find that interesting. I hope you'll, you'll uh, like, share, subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's, it's Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever. You can also go to my website, johnwarrenmedia.com. If you'd like to kind of peruse the, uh, browse the uh, library of episodes, please do so. If something is a blessing to you, I'd love to hear from you. I hear from a dear man. I've heard from him a couple of times, I believe, in Australia, in a, a small town in Australia. And he just, he sent me one particular email that was just detailed about what a blessing this podcast is to him. I am grateful that he takes the time to do so. This is encouraging, encouraging work. I'm blessed to get to be with you every week. I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media 
on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.